Hello, I'm Kirsten O'Brien. Welcome to 16 Summers, the podcast that really only wants the answer to one simple question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one you're giving to your children, which would you pick? Right, I feel at this point you should start playing like the Hobies music in the background because... We were pooped. We used to get up half an hour before we went to bed. It was an improvement. Like I said, that's what you want to be of his father. So I knew his, his shortcomings weren't his fault. You know, there was, there was what he's learned from his father and he loved us. I do have lots of really fond memories, but they were never, they were never around kind of lavish holidays or spending money. It was all about kind of making my own fun, I guess. I heard a line uh, that somebody said to me. He said, you know, we had an underprivileged childhood. I found out later. This week I'm chatting to Steve Backshall, naturalist, explorer, writer, TV presenter and all-round nice guy. Steve is loved by millions of kids for his work on the CBBC wildlife show Deadly 60, but now he's as well known for his adult expedition and animal programmes, as well as a little stint on Strictly. He grew up on a small holding with his parents and sister in Bagshot in Surrey and now he lives on the river in Berkshire with his wife, Olympian rower Helen Glover and their three children. Tricky to know whose childhood he's going to pick. Steve Backshall, how exciting. Woohoo! Uh, I'm very excited, first of all, that you had to go on an emergency errand before this to deliver some trainers to your, let's just remind ourselves, Olympian wife. I know, how ridiculous is that? I mean, seriously, you you and I are of an age, uh, but yet somehow I am still looking after a, uh, a grumpy teenager in the form of my wife. <laughs> you see, now I've got this image of your house. I need to know whether, does it like run like clockwork and you're literally like, I'm off to Nicaragua, I've left a pie in the fridge. And then she's like, no, hang on, I'm off to Tokyo. Well, hang on, you know, how is this working? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that that kind of sums it up a little bit. I, I mean, if, if you were to take a, a look around my house, I mean, it, it, it looks a little bit like a like a gym, to be honest. You know, there are there there is training kit hanging on every available radiator, uh, there are weights holding open the doors, um, Olympic rings hanging from the ceiling, Olympic memorabilia everywhere. I mean, seriously, I I get don't get a look in in this house. There's there's nothing apart from a pile of animal books. There's there's nothing. Oh, bless you. Well, I don't know how much you know about this podcast, but it's based on one simple question, which is: Would you rather have the childhood that you had? or the one that you're giving to your children. So we're just going to have a chat, and then at the end, you need to decide. I will ask you the question again, and you need to decide, okay? Do you know what? That's not a simple question. It's a huge question, and there's so so many different things that, that lead into it. Um, first of all, as a, a relatively new father, um, but also, and probably more importantly, as someone who has spent their entire adult life working with wildlife and with conservation and with nature, there are so many different elements to this one simple, uh, quite elegant question. Yes, and that's why we like it. So I'm going to wade straight in with your childhood, which I presume, I'm just guessing, wasn't some sort of inner city, in a flat, 12 stories up, no outdoor space type setup. <laughs> No, it wasn't. I, I had a remarkable childhood. Uh, my mum and dad are both from from 
working class stock. You know, nobody in my family before me had had finished school, let alone gone to university. But they took a remarkable opportunity when they were uh, when my sister and I were little more than toddlers. They were uh, driving down the road and they saw a sign up for manure at Tempe a bag, and they thought, "We'll pop in there and we'll buy ourselves some manure." And it turned out that the uh, the old dude who lived in the rundown ramshackle farmhouse that was there had a few years left to run on his lease and was starting to panic because he had no security. So he swapped it, swapped this tiny lease on this ramshackle farmhouse with several acres of, um, of paddocks and farmland leading off into the Surrey Heaths for our um, two up two down terraced house um he moved into ours we moved into his and it it led to a a childhood that was not without struggle certainly financially for my parents it was pretty tricky but for my sister and I we were surrounded with rescue animals from from day dot we had horses and donkeys and and rabbits and then beyond that we had um an infinite amount of wild animals and space and the ability to just run completely feral when we were at home. And it, it was it was a near perfect childhood in so many ways. Add to that the fact that both my parents worked for the airlines, for British Airways, and we had discounted travel. So we could go several times a year to the most exotic parts of the world and you know have incredible experiences in Africa and India and uh, Sri Lanka and you know, some of the most exotic places you can possibly imagine, but but all done on a shoestring, like proper dirtbag backpackers. We never stayed in a nice hotel the entire time and, and therefore had the most complete experience in those countries it's possible to have. Um, so, you know, there, there's there's a tendency to look back on our childhood with rose-tinted glasses, but at the same time, it was pretty damn good. And it's certainly turned you clearly into the person that you are. What what's is it an older or younger sister? And, and is she this sort of uh, crocodile wrestling fiend as well? You know, how is Joe turned out? On the <laughs> she's she's two years younger, although she's always been my older sister. Um, she is the the more mature, more settled uh, end of the family. Uh, she works uh, in the NHS as a nurse specialist dealing with kids who have cancer, which, uh, you know, I couldn't do that job for a single day. The the amount of respect I have for what she does is, you know, boundless. But there are things that we share in common. We both have a love of the outdoors and adventure and physical activity. She's mad keen on her mountain biking. She was always wildly into horses. Um but the difference has, has always been that my obsession was always wild animals, whereas you know she was more interested in the, the ducks and the chickens and the horses when we were kids. And then that was always going to be my my thing. And for Joe, it was always caring. You know, when you've got one of those people who who has a proper vocation, that's that's my sister. Who were your heroes then when you were growing up? My dad. Um my dad was my absolute hero from from when I was a kid. I thought he was James Bond, and he he is, <clears throat> you know, e- even now in his seventies, he's he's a big guy, never never lifted a weight in his entire life, but he's got you know massive biceps and a, and a flat tummy. At, at, you know, in his seventies, 
Um, he was a very natural sports person. He was very super athletic, um, good looking guy as well. And um, he just seemed to, uh, to a young lad living on this, uh, you know, kind of ramshackle small holding slash farmhouse. He was my, he was my God. He was what I aspired to be. Um, I, I always worry that I'll offend my mum when I, when I sort of like talk about him in these terms, but she kind of, she kind of knows that that's the way it was when I was, when I was a youngster, I wanted to be my dad. So this is a gorgeous picture you're painting. You're getting on well with your sister. You adore your dad. I didn't say I was getting on well with my sister. Hang well. on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's backtrack. Any... Let's backtrack. Oh, I never, well, said, well, I got, I never said I got on well with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have huge respect for her. Go on then. We hated each other's guts. You, I mean, honestly, we oh, we God. never stopped fighting. We, we, um, we hated each other for most of our childhood, but... Um, uh, you know, we're a good deal better now. We still wind each up something chronic, and I'm like 47. I mean, <laughs> our um, our family Christmases are a thing to behold. There is almost always an incendiary explosion from one of us, um, and you know, nobody has has the um, the capacity to wind me up more than my sister does. Um, but all all of that is tinged with a huge amount of of admiration and respect and knowledge that I I just couldn't do what she does. So when you were little or younger, would you be out and about doing your thing on the farm and she would be completely separately doing her thing? There wasn't the two of you foraging around or whatever you were doing? No, no, we we, we were both very much uh, separate entities and unless we were, you know, doing stuff as a whole family. Um, I was I was a bit of a loner when I was a kid. You know, I was more than happy just kind of off wandering, going out for long runs with the dog going out looking for, for deer and um, watching the badger sets and the fox's dens and um, climbing trees, you know, that, and I was more than happy doing that completely on my own. Um, so yeah, Joe and I, we were, we were very separate. And then when we were forced to be together, inevitably it turned into something resembling an MMA bout. <laughs> That's really interesting to hear about. Um, animal wise then talk me through your early pets what what was what was your menagerie it was pretty significant um so we became quite a focal point for any uh local animals that were rescued um so it, it was mostly a fairly um ragtag bunch of you know animals that probably should have been put down we we had a um we had an asthmatic donkey called barney rubbles who got about halfway through a bray before he would just collapse and need, you know, pretty much needed an inhaler. It would kind of go, and then he'd just like be absolutely beside himself. We had a couple of psychotic geese who would attack anyone who came anywhere near the house. Uh, We had an endless array of, of ducks and hens and peacocks and guinea fowl. Um, we had, we had one particular little rescue duckling that used to follow my mum around the house, used to sit in the washing up bowl while she was doing the washing up, um, right through until it got taken by the fox. Although they told us that it had been sent to another farm somewhere for a better life instead it had been eaten. Um, we, (laughs) we, um, had um, uh, another psychotic little horse. I can't remember if it was an Exmoor or a Dartmoor. And it was an Exmoor pony um, who 
how completely sussed that Joe was in control and knew what she was doing with horse riding and I was utterly clueless. And every time I went anywhere on Wally or Walnut, the, this uh, this little pony's back, he would head straight for a tree with a low-hanging branch and just take me off and then go. And he'd be found like 20 miles away over the Surrey Heath where he was just off wandering on his own on a little adventure and I'd come back with a massive lump on my head. <laughs> so would you say is it fair to say that I mean I'm no psychoanalyst but the animals were more your friends than your sister was um I, I yeah yeah I, I would say so I mean I I loved my sister dearly as as I still do today but um you know we we properly got under each other's skin and she she knew how to rile me I mean I I was the the classic sort of um sensualist like every single bit of food or a treat that was put in front of me would be instantly inhaled and joe if for example let's say at christmas we were given the little chocolate selection box she would still have that in june solely for the purpose of taking it out in front of me and watching me as she went to unwrap one piece of chocolate and see that seething jealousy on my face that would be that would be worth it for her it would be better than eating the chocolate bar would be seeing my pain at not being able to eat it and what was mini steve like because of course now i mean somebody sent me a picture recently steve of you a promo i think for your latest show and it was i mean outrageously ripped so i don't know what is happening there it was <laughs> mini steve was, what, you know was he windy? what was he <laughs> um I've, I've always been um I've, I've always been quite sporty i've always been really into sport and the outdoors and adventure and climbing and clambering and jumping off stuff and you know I've, I've I, I guess I was quite a mini simulacrum of my of my present self and like I say I, I really aspired to being my my dad who who was a very you know big strong physical presence um, but at the same time you know proper gentle bear of a of a man um, I was so many of the things that I am now I mean this is going to make you laugh. I was so over-enthusiastic that everyone would just rip on me constantly for the fact that everything in my life was the best ever. It was the best thing I'd ever done, the best thing I'd ever seen. I mean, does that sound familiar to you to you now at all? Uh, <laughs> some things never yes, change, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I should flag up that Steve and I worked on a show together um, called uh, Springwatch Trackers, wasn't it? It was the sort of kids' version of Springwatch, and we had to get up at ludicrous o'clock, and it was a brilliant show. We had the same set as the adult show, and we had Bill Oddie and people as well. But you, we all lived together on some sort of holiday park somewhere, whereas I would come back and want to sleep because I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning. You would lead exercise classes and burpees and and I was I am out Steve no way but you were like Woo! <laughs> you are, Mr. yeah I think if I had to nail down any part of my personality that has given me um a bit of an edge it's that it's that I I have a very very positive outlook it's not something that I've you know worked at or something that's conscious it's just you know something I, I am genu- genuinely a very um enthusiastic person and that, that helps in all walks of life because, you know, any project that comes along, I'm like, yes, this will be the best thing ever. Let's throw myself into it. What can I do with it? How can I make it, I make it the best it can possibly ever be? And I, I, I kind of find that that has led to lots and lots of big opportunities. I'm, I'm also quite good at 
um, you know, sweeping away the stuff that's that's not important and that's negative. Um, and I think that that disposition, I really, really hope that I, you know, it, it stays with me because it's it's been my it's been my constant friend since I was a child, and it's it's been very useful for me. And how did that play out at school? The relatively well-built, very enthusiastic, but selling bags of manure weirdy with all the animals, boy. You know, how did you fit in at school? Um, not well, not well. No, I, my um, my school years were the only unhappy times of my life, I would say. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, you know it's, it's not like it's hung over me like a dark cloud ever since, but um, as you would expect, that kind of reality doesn't play out well in a you know quite rough comprehensive school in the middle of a, a, a council estate where people are assessed by how well they they fight and play basketball and do with the girls and I was no good at any of those things um so I didn't do well at school you know I I struggled with friendships I struggled with being able to be who I was, you know, I, I, after, after a while of working out that, you know, manure boy, which was my, my nickname at school, because we still had the sign up for 10 P manure bag outside the, outside the house, um, was not going to fit in very well. There was, there was a lot of years of pretending to be someone else and not doing a very good job at it. And so, you know, school, my school days, I would say, I don't look back on with any either pride or happiness, um, and, you know, also kind of added to the fact that I was a very bright kid and in a um, in a comprehensive with just terrible teaching, um, I lost my way with learning and I kind of got bored of it, just lost my lost my patience with it. You know, geography, which is like my my life now, we had a teacher who on a Wednesday afternoon for a double period would just read to us from the textbook that every single one of us had in front of us. And in a monotone, dreary, droning voice, he'd read out what we had in front of us for two hours. And, you know, it was mind blowing. After after a few months, I just stopped going. And my, my report card said, who is this boy? That was simply what it said. Um, I ended up, you know, leaving school and just bunking off disappearing heading out into the woods um and yeah i mean they they weren't i I had this massive sort of duality between the intense happiness of of my home life and this kind of just meh of my my school days and did you have mates then is there anyone from that time that is still a mate or did that come later in life sort of key friendships yeah, no, I, there's there's no one that I'm um, still in touch with from school, um, and wasn't very very soon after I after I left. Um, it, you know, it it was there were so many reasons why it 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 didn't work for me and and for my my personality, and I'm just incredibly lucky that I I did decide to leave um, my school after my GCSEs, which I flunked you know I completely failed them all and I went to a uh, a technical college and I was very very lucky that um, coming into my second year again um, destined predicted to fail my A-levels we had a teacher start with us who changed my life absolutely changed my life Uh, it was a guy called Rob Brown who uh, came into our 
English class and just set us all alight. Um, we were studying Shakespeare at the time, all a bit, all a bit bored of it. And all of a sudden he started making it come to life in a way that just ignited this fire of excitement and enthusiasm. And I think, I mean, it sounds like an exaggeration now, but I think three months later, I think it was as soon as that three months later, I went from like being a total flunk of a student to two A's and a B and and going to a good university. And it was all down to, to Rob. So, you know, I'm, I'm so, that's that bit of serendipity, isn't it? That bit of serendipity in life where, you know, at that critical moment, um, I met the right person, set me on the right course. And without him, I wouldn't be here now. I'm such a big believer in that, that life gives you the right people at the right time. At, at that point, what were you thinking you wanted to do with your life? Um, there were, I mean, I'd, I'd always, since I was um, knee high, wanted to work in a, uh, in a game reserve in South Africa. I wanted to go and work, um, you know, somewhere in Zimbabwe or Zambia or Kenya and, you know, be one of the guides that takes tourists out to tell them all about the animals. Um, and that I didn't need any qualifications to do that. So that was, that was where I kind of hoped I would be heading. Um, but you know, all of that kind of got changed around. Um, and, and then I sort of decided come my levels that I was going to be a, a writer, that that was my, my thing that, um, you know, I read and write like ridiculously quickly. Um, and it's, it, that's, that's something that's really stood me in good stead. So I figured, perfect, right. I'm going to be a writer. So I started work as a travel writer, um, and it went good, but you know, I was you know back living with mum and dad and working in a, in a bar to pay the, pay the bills. It didn't, didn't pay very well. Um, and then that's when I, um, sent my, uh, my idea, my film to National Geographic and, uh, life changed again. And how much do you think, you mentioned those holidays that you went on, how much was that broadening of those horizons uh, down to influencing what you wanted to do at that point? I think, um, you almost can't call them holidays because, you know, I look back on those times now and I, I mean, it's, it is staggering to me what mum and dad did. They had two young kids and they would rock up, let's say, in in Delhi, in one of the world's most chaotic cities with no plan, no idea, nowhere booked, just a couple of backpacks. And we would wander the streets until two in the morning trying to find somewhere that would take us in for 20p a night. And they, we did that over and over again, every place we went. And, you know, I've been, I've been a travel writer for the rough guides where my, that's my job to go around and do that. And I still have not done it in the kind of relentless way that my mum and dad did. Um, and because of that, because we, we, you know, lived as kids, like the grottiest dirtbag backpackers, um, all of that came very easily to me. It was all stuff that I just sort of knew and understood. I didn't need luxuries. I didn't need a plan. I was fine with improvising. I was fine with thinking on my feet. I didn't get stressed or worried if um, if there was no bed for the night because, you know, we as a family had slept on 
park benches when we couldn't find somewhere. We as a family had slept in someone's garage on the concrete floor because we hadn't been able to get somewhere to sleep that night. And it had been fine. You know, it was all right. So no big deal. I would never do that as a, as a dad now. I'd be terrified. You know, uh, the idea of going with my three kids off to, you know, a developing nation without a plan, without somewhere to stay, makes me shudder. But my mum and dad were just like, nah, it'll be all right. It'll be fine. And it always was. And, you know, they, it get, gave us some extraordinary expe- experiences, camping out wild in, in, you know, African game reserves with, with big game, just outside the tent, hippos grazing outside the tent. Um, you know, sounds of lion, no more than a hundred meters away. When you're in a tent with nothing to kind of protect you, it all sounds mental now. But I, I think what it, what it gave me was a, um, a kind of ease with traveling, with a whole business of traveling um, that really stood me in good stead. Have you spoken to your parents about those times particularly? I mean, your mum sounds incredible. I'm the same as you now with my three kids thinking about, you know, if there isn't somewhere that I can wipe their hands or or something like that. She just sounds incredible that she did that. Have you had those conversations with her? Yeah, lots. But, you know, again, it's effortless to them. They they still go. Well, I guess they haven't done for a couple of years, but... Um, you know, well into their seventies, they were just heading off to India for a, you know, for for a couple of months with backpacks on their back, and again, no plan. It's something which has has been, you know, part of their quite. I mean, it, it's not like they ever wrote down an ethos for for living or for parenting, but looking back on it now, it, it was a remarkably strong kind of set of maxims for for a perfect life, and. Um, I wish that I was strong enough and hardy enough to have those same strengths now, but you know, unfortunately, I I, I don't, and I, I would probably have now the tendency to slightly inoculate myself with with money and security in a way which I know will make the experience less less exciting. You know, all of the best things that happened to us when we were when we were kids were, uh, you know because we'd just cast ourselves on the kindness of strangers or because we'd rocked up somewhere that we didn't even know existed and just happened upon some little piece of paradise by by pure chance. And uh, I won't be having those experiences with my little ones because I, I would be scared to rock up without without somewhere to go and without an idea of what we were going to be you know doing. And is that because the world has changed in many ways? Um, or is that just you? No, no. Do you know what? It's not because actually, as as a traveller, it's never been easier than now. Now is the easiest time in history to travel um, in that way. You know, to be a to be a backpacker now is a breeze, even compared to when when I started out in the in nineteen ninety. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have the the opportunity to just get on your phone and go. Oh, I wonder if this place is nice. I wonder if this area is good. I wonder what they've got here. I wonder what they've got there. You just had to ask people, probably you know, without having any shared language. Um, traveling then was was difficult compared to now. And if you did have the gall to be able to kind of go right, come on, let's just go out there and see what happens, it would be much much easier now. 
Got you, I see. Um, I'm about to move on to you and your family and your parenting. But just before we do, I did want to touch on the fact um, we we said about your positivity and your personality and stuff. And actually, along the way, I mean, I was obviously looking up about you. You know, you've had these sort of run-ins with hippos and ants stinging you and all this kind of thing. But at a point where I knew you, you had quite a serious accident with your back didn't you? you you know you've had quite serious things happen to you and I just wondered how affecting and, and how much having that positive personality has 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 helped in situations that have been really quite severe it's helped massively so the yeah the incident that you um, you're referring to I had a, a near fatal rock climbing accident I fell um, 30 feet onto onto rock um, when I was uh, climbing in um well kind of near Wintour's leap um and i i broke my back in two places i completely destroyed my left foot put my um heel bone through the underneath of my foot broke pretty much all the bones in my ankle um and um it it's been a very very long road it was 11 operations to my ankle before i i had a fusion which um you know just massively reduces the mobility in my ankle um and you know physically i'm not even close to where i was back then and and you know it will, there'll always be the me before the accident and the me after but my my positivity meant that i you know i woke up in a sort of um, in a daze and was told that i'd break my back in two places and that you know i was that things were bad and i went Right. Well, you say that I won't be able to walk for, you know, for a couple of months. I'm going to be running in six weeks. You just wait and see. And I, I kind of, you know, went at it all with this sort of absolute positivity. I mean, it turned out I was wrong. I was totally, totally wrong. And, you know, it was years before I was I was back and, and right again. But it did mean that I, I didn't have those those plummeting doldrums of, oh, no this is the end of everything, which, you know, it, it, it kind of could have been if I'd had the, had the wrong outlook. And as we move into, as I say, you as a parent, what, what would be, just as we leave this bit behind, the standout moment from your childhood, would you say, um, in terms of a worst moment and an, a, an amazing moment? A worst moment and an amazing moment. That's, that's interesting. I think that the worst would be when um, I was away with my family and um, uh, three of my um, then best friends um, broke into my house, stole my mother's car, uh, crashed it into a wall, um, wrote it off, uh, first of all denied all responsibility for it, then tried to suggest that it was my idea and then in some very peculiar uh, teenage turnaround managed to convince them all that it was my fault and um, it led to quite a prolonged and quite intensive period of bullying where I got some proper kickings um, and you know for for a year or so it was pretty miserable and you know going into school was was not easy that would that would definitely be the the low point the high point was my first Right, hang uh, on, so stop, stop, stop. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. 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 Hang on. That just completely, you, you totally blindsided me. I haven't talked about that for 20 years. 
this is my, my three best friends, very much inverted commas. Um, and they uh, break in through a window, took her car keys, took the car, tried to drive it, failed, uh, crashed it into a wall. And then I, I guess, you know, in that situation, we're, we're all, I think when we when we do something bad, quite often you don't want to live with the fact that you've done something bad. So you rewrite it in your head, don't you? You, you, you re-script it to, to turn it around so you've not been quite such a bad person. And they all managed somehow to turn it around in their heads to it being my fault. And I, I just took relentless, absolutely relentless bullying for a, yeah, quite a long time after that. You know, how did that affect your relationship at that point? Because either they were like, well, it is your fault. Oh, or no, I mean, they, no, no, they, they could. What the hell is happening? There was, there was no faking my reaction when we got back. You know, that I was just gutted, absolutely gutted. And, you know, they, um, it, it, it went to the situation where they were, they had to approach all of the, the boys families and parents and it was very very messy but you know we we did everything we could to keep it out of them uh, away from the police and um you know just deal with it on a kind of more personal level um which you know fair play to my parents they they were they were so so good about it um but yeah it was it was it was a pretty pretty horrid time yeah, I think you're winning in terms of low points there. You've really pulled something quite major on the back that I wasn't expecting. I'm now braced for quite the high, Steve. <laughs> um, so I think, I mean, there's there's so many things that I could I could choose as my, my high uh, from my young years. But I think that my first ever safari would have to be the, the highest point. Um, so I think I was about eight or nine and uh we went to zimbabwe um which was a a much much more secure country at the time and we we went out onto a a nature reserve with a a guy i can remember him to a t now even though this was 40 years ago his name was ziggy Uh, he was our guide and he would keep stopping the vehicle and looking down and going, see that print there, that, that print there, that's from a, uh, a warthog female. Uh, she was slightly lame in her, in her left leg. And this one over here, that's, that's a lion that's following no more than 10 minutes after. And I reckon if we just go down there 100 metres, we might actually see a hunt. You drive down there 100 metres and you watch the hunt and be like, oh, this dude is God. I want to be him. I want to, to get you know that level of knowledge and understanding about how the natural world works and it was a it was the light bulb it was the kind of moment of this is what I want to do with my life I want to be him um and you know to a certain to a certain extent that that has driven so much of my kind of you know desire for for how to work in the natural world that real practical naturalist's skill which, um, you know, actually we are tending to lose nowadays, but the, the practical hands-on naturalist, the, the person who can, who can by sight and smell and experience um, have a, a, an appreciation and understanding of the natural world that is, that is, is, is seamless, that is exactly the same as a, another animal living in that habitat would have, is something that I've, I've always hunk, hankered after. And now that you have yourself gone on to do those things you have become a total hero 
for so many children. You know, I know so many kids, including my own nine-year-old, that when they know I'm talking to you, you know, it is absolute hero territory. Um, but I can hear in the background at least one of your littlies because you've now got three young kids of your own, haven't you? How does that affect being some sort of international in a forest in the middle of nowhere by yourself type setup when suddenly you're a family man? It, there's there's lots of different elements to it. Um, the the longer trips now are hell. I hate them. Um, I don't want to be away from home for uh, anything more than you know a couple of weeks tops, because particularly at the age they're at, the twins are a year and Logan is two and a half. They change by the day. You know you you know this better than anyone. You could go away for a, from a weekend and come back, and and first of all, they'll probably hold it against you for the next three days. But secondly, they can be completely different people, and the things that you miss in that time are are just a huge. I think that also being being an old dad has given me a greater appreciation of how how precious this time right now is. Now, when I you know I've still. I'm still physically fit. I can still do all the things with them that I want to do. I can still, you know, enjoy every second around them. I still got the the energy um, to be able to be, you know, a 100% dad. Uh, this time is is gold dust, and I don't want to miss a second of it. The first year of Logan's life was the year that I had my big expedition project. So we did ten expeditions in the course of a year. Um, I was away so much, and and it it broke me, you know, it really broke me. I, I found it so, so hard. The flip side of that is that I have all these experiences and all of these, you know, potential, you know, nuggets of knowledge to pass on to three already bouncing, happy, enthusiastic sponges who, who really love it. You know, taking Logan out, pond dipping, and seeing him catch his first newt, just, oh, God, it makes me want to cry even thinking about it. Um, and, and the possibility that, you know, once once lockdowns start to ease, I might have the opportunity to take the three of them on their first safari. I might have the opportunity to, to take them to cool places here in this country. Um, makes it all worthwhile. The idea that I could be doing these things, you know, for the first time again, because I'd be doing them and seeing the joy through the eyes of, of my my family is something really, really special. What are you going to do if one or more of your children turn around and go, I just want to play Roblox, Dad? Sars, not interested. <laughs> they will. They definitely will. You know, there's, there's, there's absolutely no way that all three of them are going to want to do what Helen and I do. And, and I, I'm absolutely sure that, you know, at least one of them is going to massively rebel against it. Of course they will. No, you know, there just is no way that 100% of, of my offspring are going to want to become a wildlife adventurer. And if they do, then Helen will be hacked off because she'll want them to be athletes, you know. And, and this is a, 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 you know, really strong conversation that Hells and I have had ever since we, you know, started talking about kids is you you can't push kids into doing anything because of your your own prerogatives it's got to come from them so we will not push them into anything at all other than swimming they have to learn to swim that's an absolute you know prerequisite you know no questions asked they will learn to swim but other than that um you know will be led by by their interests it's already clear um that 
Logan is going to be massively into to nature and wildlife. He he has that the the instant connection that you can see his his intrigue when he picks up an acorn or a feather, um, which the two younger ones at, at you know at, at, at just over a year don't have. Um, you know, Logan's first word was bird, uh, and he is very obviously connected to that. Um, the the other two we'll see, but I would be. I'd be gobsmacked if they, you know, if they went towards what I do. But who cares? Doesn't matter. You know, as long as as long as they're happy and healthy, then you as a parent have have um, you know have done your job. And are you? I presume you are giving them a, a very outdoorsy upbringing, like you did. I know you're on the river, aren't you? So that that outdoor element is there for them from the off. Yeah, that that again cuts both ways because yes, they have the most outdoor life that you could ever ask a, a kid to have and they do spend all their time outside but it's also a, a constant worry um the river is lethal and um you know particularly you, you look at this winter and we had flooding here and the, the river was raging past us and you know there would be no questions asked and, you know they went even close to that river and got swept in and it would be over and that as a parent is you know it's just as frightening as having a main road up outside your house it's it's something lethal that is constantly there as a threat and a danger that the youngsters don't understand and you know logan now he's 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 uh, over two and starting to get hit, hit, you know his kind of tantrums and things and you, you tell him not to do something and that's the one thing that he is going to sprint off and, and do um yeah, it keeps me awake at night. It really does. But the flip side of that is that we can go out every morning and we can feed the ducks and the swans that, uh, you know, Logan saw his first kingfisher up close this, this weekend. Um, we have great crested grebes catching fish like two meters away from the end of the garden. I mean, that's just, it's such a blessing for us to have. And in terms of parenthood, you have literally done all kinds of difficult because you've had not only the very close together children scenario, but the one I can appreciate as well, that you have one and then twins, which we're in. How diff- I know that people never know any different when you're in your particular parent setup, but how hard do you find it? I think it's so much easier than if it was the other way around. Um, we found uh, Logan on his own as our as our first much more challenging to deal with than we've found having all three of them and i think that you know there's the inevitable panic in the first sort of 6 8 months of uh, of parenthood that you know everything stresses you out everything is potentially terrifying potentially lethal every you know every spot they get is a rash that's going to be you know some kind of hideous virus that that's going to you know be the end of everything every every trip and bump and fall all of it scares you to death and the second time around it doesn't um and so with with the twins we've been able to be um much much more relaxed and i, I think it makes it makes all the difference in in so many ways um i think that they are they're sunnier characters because of it and it's yeah i mean i think that there's 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 an it's it's much much easier doing it this way round than it would be having had the twins first which i think we would have really struggled with and what do you think you're bad at as a parent um probably quite a lot of things 
I, I would imagine. I mean, I, I think you know. First of all, you know, when I'm when I'm here, I'm very much here. But when I'm I'm away, I'm properly away. You know, if I go away for two weeks, it's not like I'm getting on FaceTime every day and, and chatting on the phone. I'm in the middle of the jungle, sat underneath a leaking tar, leaky tarpaulin with no contact whatsoever with home, and that you can see that um, that Logie finds that hard because um, you know one minute he's got daddy who if he wakes up in the middle of the night is going to be there for a cuddle and the next minute he's just gone um and that that obviously is is really really hard and we've all got our own individual setups these days our our own idea of partnerships and how the family's working helen has decided to start training again which is a highly unusual set of circumstances because you're both such high achievers that i mean it must be such difficult well I've just full of admiration for you because not only have you got that the three kids they're really close together but you're both really excelling in your fields how were you doing it all I think Helen is a very very special athlete um so um most he who is um a gold medalist on the um on the team on the rowing team wrote an incredible article this weekend where he said that Helen coming back to the team is like signing, like signing Lionel Messi. And it's very clear that she is that good. She is, she is naturally an extraordinary athlete. Um, two and a bit years before she stood on the top of the podium in London, she had never sat in a rowboat before. You know, she was, she was talent scouted. Um, she, you know, was, was working as a, as a school teacher, as a, as a sports teacher, um, was talent scouted. And two and a half years later, she had a gold Olympic medal around her neck and she hasn't been beaten since. Um, and I think that if it wasn't for the fact that she is so physically gifted, that she is so utterly determined that she has this just unbreakable, unbreakable beatable attitude then it would be impossible for someone in particularly rowing which is um you know a legendarily difficult and hard sport and punishing on the body to do um she's still she's still breastfeeding she's still you know up at night looking after the kids sometimes she'll get three hours sleep four hours sleep and then be up at seven and on the river and uh, there are very very few people in the world who could do that and if it wasn't for the fact that it was helen it it would be a non-starter um and this time round, she has a very different end game. So, you know, she's not setting out now to take home her third gold in, in Tokyo. She's setting out to try and get in a boat and go. And if she was to do that, it would be extraordinary. Just the fact that she's still here now, that she's back on the team, that she's, you know, competing with three kids of two and under um, is is mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing if she was to go to tokyo it would be one of the greatest achievements for for an athlete in this country in my lifetime and you know beyond that who can say but you'd be a very very um dumb person to vote against her absolutely it is completely mind-blowing and and would the children i mean we still don't know where we're at with tokyo i realize but will the kids go with you on that journey will you experience that as a family you know, how are you going to parent as you both carry on with your achievements? So I, I booked the time off and in the country. Um, I don't think we'll be allowed to go. I think that 
uh, reading between the lines, Tokyo is is going to go ahead, um, but I think they will be very limited to the amount of international supporters they allowed to visit. Um, I think it will probably be mostly domestic travellers, and even if it's not, the risk of you know travelling with with three kids plus probably have to you know go with Helen's mum as well to to help, I think is going to be too much. I think we'll end up having to watch it here at home, but uh, you know. That that is that will still be amazing. I mean, Logan already gets it. Logan looks at the pictures and he's kind of like, "Oh, mummy, you're training for the Olympics today." And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, we really are." And you know, it's it's um, there's no doubt that he already understands. And so, in another four months' time, he'll he'll definitely get it. The twins won't, but they'll be able to look back on it in the future and you know see this incredible thing that that mummy has has tried for. Um, uh, in so far as how we we parent for it, um, it, it's a very very fine line. You know, she's tra- training three times a day now, um, and while all of her her colleagues will do those three training sessions and then go home and have a nice long sleep and then have ten hours sleep at night, Helen's not having that. Um, like I said, she's also breastfeeding, so she's she's using up a huge amount of her body's natural resources. She is always low on iron and, and calcium and you know it, it's it's going to be a tough tough road to get there she's an mbe i'm just trying to think what else what other accolades we can get on the woman she's some sort of superhero i want to talk to her now not you but anyway that's, that's for another time that can, what, that can be arranged sort of, that can be arranged We'll do that in a bit then. Excellent. Um, how how will you really relax as a family? What's what's downtime for you all? You know, we know about these high achieving moments and it all sounds incredible. But, how, you know, will you just do a holiday in Butlins or <laughs> what's it going to be? <laughs> so uh, both both Helen and I are ambassadors for the Isles of Scilly wildlife trust and we've agreed to to go out there and for for me to um lead some tours um around uh, uh wildlife tours there in, in this in the uh, the isles of Scilly. um so we'll go out as a family if we're allowed to and we'll we'll stay out there for a little while and enjoy what is one of our favorite places in the whole world so that that will be our our downtime um beyond that i'm really really hoping to manage to get hells out on an expedition Oh, my word. I mean, I'm now approaching asking you the question again, having mulled it over. And I usually with these things, I kind of have a sense of which way it's going to go. And I'm very aware of all the people I've spoken to so far, you don't do have the youngest kids in the mix. So, um, you, you know, you're not as far forward in terms of childhoods as other people who've answered this question for me are. But would you rather have the childhood you had or the one you were giving to your kids so this is this is complex um from my perspective in the nearly 50 years that i've been alive alive our planet has seen some fundamental negative changes the world's population has doubled the amount of animals on the planet has halved the amount of forests on the planet has near halved our problems in terms of potential environmental Armageddon are colossal. And whereas when you and I were youngsters, we had the 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 fear hanging over us of the Cold War and Chernobyl and and you know all these these kind of amorphous dark threats. Nowadays young people will have climate change and social media and 
the the impending extinction event of our own cause. I think when I was when I was young, I had a kind of freedom that my kids will ever never have. Um, I also um, had to work hard for my money and had um, a, a much more simplicity to my life than my my kids will have. Um, you know, there was there was there was a lack of in, uh, the the encumbrance of of complexity that our modern life has. That said, you know, our kids will have two two parents who who adore them and will do everything they can to make sure that they have a, a wonderful, fun filled childhood that is that is full of exploration and joy. I I think on balance, I think I would choose my own childhood over the, that that my my kids will have but I'll do everything in my power to emulate all the things that my folks did for me. And how much of that in your power is, because I sense and we all feel that worry about the way the planet's headed, how much do you want to actively try and change things for them in that regard? Well, so, so here's where I would would slightly change that question. I, I think that it's not about me changing things. I think it's about me um, giving them the opportunity to change things. One of the things over the last few years that's given me the, the greatest cause for hope has been this new wave of activism in in young people. Young people switching on to the problems of the planet and making them their own and, and standing up and shouting about the things that they want to change and the things that they want to improve. And there is nothing that is more exciting than a young person who is empowered and who has in their hands the tool tools to make real change. And I see in these young people that I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of my time with a, a fire and a passion and an excitement about making the planet a better place, which has given them a real um, a real structure and a real goal. And in that state, they are incredibly enriched and fulfilled, even if, you know, the, the overall outlook can be sometimes rather grim. So I, I think that, you know, now I very much see my role, if, if it is any role at all, um, to play a part in making sure that young people know that they have a voice and that they can make a difference. Um, and then, you know, just riding along on this extraordinary wave of young enthusiasm activism towards making our planet a better place i like all the positivity there i love that there's no doubting you are an incredible dad they've got an incredible mum ultimately you chose your childhood which is a credit to your parents back then um and your positivity as a person just one final thing in terms of I feel a little bit sad for sort of school Steve in a way. What would you tell school Steve now that was bullied, that was sad, that was a little bit alone, the way things have panned out? Um, I think if I could have shown him my present Wikipedia page, he'd probably be pretty chuffed. And, you know, the the very simple thing that I would say would be be true to yourself because who you are is amazing. And it is going to be who you are in 30 years time as a very, very fulfilled and happy dad. So don't let what other people think 
dictate who you think you have to be. Um, you know, actually, I mean, probably the only regret I have looking back is that then as a 13, 14 year old, I had a more decisive and more complete idea of what of who I was than anybody else I knew, but I didn't dare show it. And if I'd just known that, you know, that was okay and that was really who I was going to be, then I think I could have just gone, ah, Sodja, I actually quite like being on my own. I don't need friends anyway. <laughs> I've been fine. <laughs> you made me quite emotional at the end there. Thank you so much for talking to me and for being so honest. And now in the really high-flying world, high-falutin world of you and Helen, just paint a picture of what you're going off to do now, please. What's next? 8,000 burpees, a swift run up and down the river. What's happening? I'm going for a wee, Kirsten, because I've been sat here for an hour without having one of my legs across. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to 16 Summers with me, Kirsten O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in the usual way. And we're always happy to hear your comments using the hashtag 16 Summers. 